I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... Don't just give me the data. Don't just show me a pretty chart. Tell me what it means. What should I be doing about this? And our client base is about 100 of the Fortune 500, and uh, they have some things in common. A lot of that is they want to be smart with data. That particular discipline in the Fortune 500 has been starved. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh, with producer Tracy Madigan. Today, we speak with Eric Kofit. Eric is the founder and CEO of a company right here in the D.C. area called Public Relay. What do they do? Well, if you're Bud Light or Procter & Gamble or Ford Motor Company or a host of other major corporations, as an example, you care about what people are saying about your brand. You care about what people are saying about your personality, your profile, about what people that don't use your product but are thinking about it think about what you do. Eric uses technology to gather all those opinions from social media, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and create ways for you to get smarter about it and how to avoid pitfalls and magnify positive things. A fascinating conversation for a fascinating company. Here's our conversation. Eric, welcome to the show. It's good to be here. So before we start with your current company, as you mentioned, we met 25 years ago when you were at the Washington Post. Yes. You were in the digital side of the paper. I was. Did you all know how much the newspaper business would change when you were slaving there back in 19-whatever? You know, to be honest, many of us did. Uh, We had some very frank discussions. In fact, I remember one I had with uh, Jay Morris, who was the CFO of the Washington Post company at the time. And I said, has anybody sat down and done the math? And what happens when classifieds completely goes away for the print newspaper? Bingo. Remember that time, classifieds, yeah. jobs alone did $165 million out of the $600 million revenue. Hello. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And, and of course, high margin revenue. Oh, yeah. Gold, gold. Printing yeah. money with that thing. And the Sunday jobs was an inch thick. And, you know, that turned out to be true. Yeah. Uh, the digital side is, is 10 cents on the dollar probably. And they've done a good job with what they had, but it's turned out to be uh, very prescient, those, those observations. Yeah. And I think the Post has done well. Credit to Don Graham for shepherding through those difficult times as we figured out the transition. But to Jeff Bezos, uh, he's invested a lot in the technology side and, and invested in the newsroom, too. And it's one of the survivors, if you ask me, in, in the journalism business in the world. I, I completely concur. My wife was at the New York Times for 20 years, and I was on the board of the Times Digital when they were going to spin it out, if you recall that that. Crazy time in 01, 02, I guess 0001 until the bubble burst. And they're like, well, we're not going to spin it out. But I would argue there are sort of three brands left. Journal, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post. The, those three are the only ones with the platform and the brand appeal to get subscriber revenue and to have a, a real play. So you guys, way to go. You nailed it. Yeah, well, it was hard work. And I won't say we had all the answers. But there were those of us who really saw the writing on the wall. You knew the power of the internet to bring data together and to sort it. Classifieds was the perfect fit for that. Yeah. I remember we were talking about Ralph Turkowitz, the other dear friend of both of ours. Yeah. Uh, he and I went out and met with Craig Newmark when he was only in San Francisco yeah. talking about what that was. And so Ralph was one of the people who saw the future, and we were worried. We had to innovate. And in credit to Alan Spoon, who was the president of the yeah. Washington Post company at the time, and Don Graham, we set up Washington Post Digital as its own separate subsidiary, reporting directly to Alan Spoon, around wow. the newspaper. And we yeah. collaborated well with the newspaper, but it was it was pretty smart on them to give us that kind of freedom and flexibility to move quickly, to make decisions. We licensed, we owned the full rights to the content globally. Yep. So we could do anything we wanted to do, hire the people, 
build the business model and figure it out. And that's Love what it. we did. Well, Craig, as we all know, Craig Newmark, Craigslist, for those of you who don't know his last name uh, and don't care, as you probably know, he repeatedly asserts to this day, I offered what I was doing for free to all the major newspapers. They'd none of them pick me up, whatever. And he, I think he takes it personally when people claim he's the reason major newspapers failed because they lost all the, all the uh, classified revenue. And he's like, hey, it wasn't my fault. No, no. He just took advantage of an opportunity as an innovator. And I think that's something that, frankly, America excels at. Yeah. Is disruption. And disruption's a good thing. It's scary. And it is absolutely scary because we create and destroy jobs in America like no other country in the world. Yeah. But look how fast we innovate. Look how fast we move. And net net, it appears to still be working quite well. In fact, I saw stats that if you go back about twenty years, the full EU economy was about the same size as the US. And here we are twenty years later, they've grown a little bit and the US has double. Wow. Now there's some exchange rates in there as well, but yeah. none, nonetheless. The innovation that comes from America and entrepreneurship, and I'm a huge believer in entrepreneurship. I've started five companies, that, that it's just what makes this country great. I'm a huge, huge believer in the opportunity it creates for everybody. Great segue, and we could spend the whole show talking about the demise of national or local newspapers, which is, I think, is a, just a tragic situation we find ourselves in. But five companies, we're here to talk about your current company, Public sure. Relay. When did you found it? And give us the elevator speech of what it does. Well, we found it in uh, 2008. Uh, my co-founder, Chris Bolster, and I uh, developed the idea. A lot of brainstorming, a lot of thoughts. We had about 30 or 40 business ideas over the course of a couple months and settled down on this. And it's a communications analytics company. What's being said about the world's largest brands in multiple platforms, online, offline, TV, radio, social media, and how is that brand discussion going? What's resonating? Who matters in that conversation and who doesn't matter? What's working, what's not working? Uh, what's happening to us as a brand in this conversation, and perhaps most importantly, what's coming next. A little mm -hmm. more of the predictive stuff, especially as technology has gotten better and better and data analysts are getting better, we're doing a lot more to, to sort of warn our clients, hey, here's what's coming next, and here's what you consider doing about it. So we become their partner, so they're doing much more data-driven communication strategy. So 2008, uh, things have changed since then, brother, I'm sure, as, I, as your clients are probably – the single most in, uh, obvious indicator for it. Tell me what you think is different from what you did for a client in 2008 versus 2023. Yeah, that's a fascinating, fascinating evolution in our business. And there's like probably three generations of our business. Early on, it was data. Just analyze this stuff and give us the data. And that got old over time. People expected more. And those are the days of the advance in data visualization, the tableaus of the world. And so we evolved with that. We, we, we launched the company in many ways or evolved the company very quickly to say not just great data, but here's how you can see it come to life. Well, let me, let me break in. When you say data, we mean what, what people said about Procter & Gamble on Facebook, what people – so was it mostly social media sort of Traditional listening Traditional as stuff? well. Traditional as well. Okay. It's not just listening. It's analytics. What reputational drivers? Is, they, is this brand trustworthy? Are they thought leaders? If it's a, a local bank, are they a community participant in making our community better? These are complex concepts that carry their brand, mm -hmm. and in many cases are the leading edge of creating new customers, whether it's B2B or B2C. In many ways, communications is protects the brand and the stock price if it's public, but also is the air cover for product development, for sales, for pricing, right? If you have that great brand, you can carry that higher pricing. So you would give graphic, well, you probably did a lot of stuff, but presenting a graphic sort of picture of mm -hmm. what the brand and the brand managers were 
what was being said about the brand. That was kind of version A? Yeah. It says it was data at first and the visualization, which is showing the trends. Here's yeah. reputational drivers that are that are rising. And it's always versus your competition. I'm a big believer with data, you need what I call vector and context. I'm not a pie chart fan because it doesn't tell you what's happening. Is it getting better or getting worse? Right. And then context versus what? Versus your competition, versus your target, your goal, your budget. Those two together allow you to have a smart C-level conversation about what's happening to our brand right now. So that was the second iteration. The third iteration was a lot of data analytics and interpretation. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of where we're at right now, which is don't just give me the data. Don't just show me a pretty chart. Tell me what it means. What mm -hmm. should I be doing about this? And our client base is about 100 of the Fortune 500, Fortune 1000, a lot of really, wow. really big brands. And uh, they have some things in common. A lot of that is they want to be smarter with data. That particular discipline in the Fortune 500 has been starved for quality data for many, many years. There's a lot of automated tools out there historically which have generated really poor data. It looks pretty, but when you get under the covers, it's quite poor. So my, my dad spent his career in the advertising agency business. And you know, at one point, you and I interacted with my, my old company, Genius Rocket, which was sort of crowdsourcing marketing and stuff. Why do you think the major ad agencies, particularly as they consolidated into very broad offerings and platforms, why are they not as good at what you guys do as you and, and some of the other players here? Probably the biggest reason is, is focus, specialization. Yeah. Uh, we're big believers in the power of technology and people. We have a tremendous amount of technology we develop. And with AI, the evolution of AI, we have thrown ourselves full into that as well, as you'd expect. Yeah. But even with that, AI struggles with generating usable insights. Bingo. It can identify patterns and trends and predict stuff. That's great. We love it for that. It can process volumes of data in really smart ways. And we're just scratching the surface as a, as a country, as a society. And we're embracing that. But in the end, if you're a C-suite, in our case, CCOs, chief communications officers, are our primary customers, they say, what's happening? What's going on here? What are you worried about? That requires context. Mm -hmm. What matters to that customer? What are they trying to achieve? And what are these data informing us on what they should be worried about and what should they take action on? And these bigger agencies, and they're, well, they're wonderful. They're very talented. I will never hear I was going to say, I will never dump on a big agency, says Eric no, Colfoot, I, I guess. No, I, I get it. I get it. No, because I see them. They do great work. Yeah. They have different skills with different agencies, different focus, but uh, they're good for a reason. They're there for a reason. They make billions of dollars because they're for a reason. But the one thing they aren't is they're not technology developers. Yeah. With very few, if any, exceptions. We develop technology. We develop analytics. And look at it. Many people in agencies, especially communications and PR firms, many of them are there because their career choice was one that avoided the math class in college. Exactly. It's reality. Now they're yeah. gifted in communication. They're beyond gifted. Yeah. They're off the charts. But give them a spreadsheet or some data and their eyes glaze over. Yep. And so we say, look, we can partner with them, shore them up where they're not as strong, make them data informed make them great at their jobs. So you can take their intuition, which you still need even today, yeah. combine that with smart data, and now your data-driven strategy, and it really works. So CCO, Chief Communications Officer, are you often, well, I guess you, you have an ongoing relationship with that, typically with that person, but are you brought in for new product launches? Are you brought in for crisis management? Are you brought in for uh, listening tours about where the overall element of the brand vitality is, all of the above? Uh, the most of our relationships are ongoing, long-term, multi-year contracts. Yeah. We do spike up and help them with all the things you mentioned, product launches, crisis, things that happen. But there's that day-to-day, -day, you, where you're trying to move the brand. What are the trends? What's my competition doing? And they don't wait till something's going on. Competition can bite you anytime 
they want. Yeah. Right? They're, they're not on your schedule. They're on their schedule. And so the opportunity to, to respond to those things, to be aware of these things, see them coming is big. But also seizing opportunities. We see gaps in the marketplace. We call it white space, where there's a conversation you want to be part of. And look, you're not there, but neither is your competition. Yeah. And yeah. that allows communicators to see those spots and grab onto them and then take action. Not to get controversial, although I'm sure you probably will we'll chat uh, later about some of the, the challenges brands have had. Do you do any political work? And if not, ha- that's a conscious decision, I assume. We actually had the last election cycle, three of the major candidates were clients of ours. Okay. And we had existing relationships beforehand with them and some of their businesses. Um, and we've been both on the, we have clients on the right and clients on the left. We are apolitical. Uh, we, we have great service to everybody. Yep. Um, Understood. We have made a choice, by the way, not to do companies and organizations that, for example, have fundamental values that are uh, anathema to our company values. For example, we would not take money from uh, a, a racist group. Mm-hmm. It's just not, we're just want to walk away from that business. We had yeah. one, a company in Russia who's connected with the FSB. Okay. And they want to do a deal with us. We said, no, that's, yeah. that's a bridge too far for us. We passed on that business opportunity because it was against our value. Well, we'll chat in a minute here about what that can mean to the employees of some of your clients, I'm sure, because it's not just wokeness, but this idea of new employees looking for social meaning and social impact in their careers. I'm sure this is something that you and your colleagues at Public Relay face every day. It is Eric Kofoot. He's our guest today on What's Working in Washington. He's the CEO and founder of Public Relay, a fantastic tech and communications company based here in the DMV. We'll be back with more after this. on What's Working in Washington, we still love hearing from our listeners. You have put us in touch with some of the best voices in the Washington, D.C. region. We've been hearing from you through Twitter, or X as it is now called, LinkedIn, and other direct messaging. On What's Working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. We love meeting smart people. If you know someone we should be talking to in our show, let us know. It's all about shining a spotlight on people who are really getting things done in this region. So please, keep those ideas coming. And thanks to all of those who stay in touch with us. Joined again by our guest, Eric Kofoot. He is the CEO and founder of Public Relay, a marketing communications technology platform here in the DMV with a fascinating story and services that they provide to clients. So when we were chatting about sort of the new challenges that many brands face, the obvious one that I'll toss out that is just sort of on everybody's mind in the last year, I guess, is, is Bud Light. So Budweiser or uh, the the parent company or the brand manager at Bud Light decided to use a trans spokesperson for one of their ads. Hand grenade exploded. Tell us, in your view, what happened. Well, that's a situation where companies, if I take a step back, over the last, say, three or four years, have been asked by certainly their employees in the larger marketplace to take more stands socially. Traditionally, companies stayed out of that. That, has, that changed during that period of time. George Floyd's murder, 
Companies spoke up. Stop Asian hate. Companies spoke up. And it continued over the course of a few years there. And generally, employees were happy with it. The marketplace accepted companies doing that. But the last six to 12 months, there's been a notable backlash. And this is not to be, it's not new. Yeah. Uh, you're not making a political statement here. No, you're, no, no. you're seeing what you're seeing. I, I'm quite centrist. And I'm a big believer in accepting people for who they are. Okay. But not taking extreme yeah. stances on anything. But you saw a larger market pushback. I started, Disney was one of the first to push yep. back against Disney and uh, the, the challenge they've had with the, the governor there. And Bud Light was, it came to a pinnacle where they got the backlash, where they took a, they, they had a spokesperson, they took a stance, then people said, what's going on here? They didn't like it. Their, their core uh, beer drinking audience had a problem with that being, if you will, forced upon them through the spokesperson. Again, I'm not taking sides, I'm just saying yeah. that's what was said. And so there's a big, big backlash, and their market share of, their, of beer plummeted, and Modelo has, has grabbed that with, with gusto. And we're seeing with our clients an interesting evolution, which is CCOs, chief communications officers, are being asked to advise their CEO. That's one of their jobs. That's the advisor. When do I speak up? When do I not speak up? And when I choose to speak up, what do I say? This was actually easier two, three years ago, when there's a general wave of this openness and this taking stances. And with this recent backlash that's happening, it's very, very real. It's palpable in the communications uh, function in companies. You can't speak out as much. Mm-hmm. Yet, at the same time, the dynamic in the employee base for most companies has not changed. Mm-hmm. There's a big ask of the employees. We need to be accepting. We need to embrace diversity. Uh, let people come to work and be their whole selves. And obviously that doesn't play now in the larger political landscape. So now the CEO's caught in a vice. I have the employees asking for this kind of communication stance. I have the marketplace saying, shut up, stick to your business, build products, sell services, make money for the shareholders. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing the communications, head of communications, which is our primary customers, caught in the middle. So part of our analytics, and we're an analytics company, is to say, what are we seeing? What's working? What's not working? Good example, you've heard of greenwashing. Yeah. There's yeah. now a diversity, equity, inclusion washing. Yep. It's, it's when people say things just to make it sound good. Yeah. There's a lot of concern over that. And some of our research has shown that if you're very specific, the actions you're taking, let's stick with greenwashing, less controversial. Yeah. If you are specific, actions you're going to take to be greener. We're going to do this, 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 and this. The marketplace accepts it. The journalists the writers, the bloggers, the people on Twitter X are supportive of you because you're very specific. If you're saying generic stuff, by 2050, we're going to be in zero carbon and with no actions, they trash you. Yeah. Here it is, greenwashing, just saying you're a green company. The same is true about DEI now, too. Is that there's this backlash and when you can speak up and when are you being wholesome and legitimate and sincere and where you're just going through the motions. So let's return to this theme in just a second, because I was going to ask you about uh, sports figures and and, um, and and entertainment figures, because I think they're caught in the same vibes. Just to, but let's talk about, uh, we, you mentioned X, Twitter, now to call X. In your opinion, of the social media platforms, where are we with X versus Threads? What's your bet on where those two brands go? Just saw some numbers this morning. It's not looking good for Threads right now. Yeah. And that's tough. Um, uh, X is such a dominant play. And it actually is the public discourse place the momentum in social is, media. is brutal. Yeah. It's, it's t- huge. And Elon Musk is, is brilliant in many ways and crazy in many ways. Yep. And I'm not passing judgment. 
he innovates. Yeah. Got to respect that at least. And he's testing a lot out on X, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. You know, um, he's got some good things. Get the bots out of there. Great. If he can do that, he's a hero. Yeah. But how do you have responsible discourse? And that's difficult. Have free speech with responsibility. It's a very difficult combination we're finding in our country right now. So, Threads, you th- I mean, even with the backing of the giant tank that is Zuck, you think Threads is going to have a tough row? I think they have a tough row. It, 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 I, I, I hope to have another competitor. It's great Yeah, have open discourse, but sometimes in the marketplace there's not room for two community forums for open discussion because what makes it powerful is lots of people go to one place. Right. Well, let's in your client list, and not that you have to identify a specific client, but do you find that the profile or personality or chatter about them or feedback, negative or positive, on something they do, like our Budweiser example we talked about, does it really vary by social platform, i.e. the type of people that are on LinkedIn saying something about GM, the type of people that are on threads talking about uh, Universal Pictures or whatever? Is there Are there some thematic things you're seeing, or is it pretty much very situational dependent? There's, in many cases, different demographics and environments in which conversations take Got place. It. LinkedIn, yeah. for example, generally speaking, is a business professional forum. You don't get as much crazy posting on a place like LinkedIn. Every so now and then, but yeah, I, but I generally agree. speaking, it's it's a quite polite discourse. People talking about their business, talking about the communities, talking about the work they're doing. You go into X; it's obviously a place where people can can strut their stuff and be their personality. Yeah, and that's a strength of of X in many ways, but it also makes it a more dangerous place for a lot of conversations going yeah. off the rails and, and offending people, or in some cases, hurting people. Yeah. Let their free flag fly, as somebody just said, said about X. Well, let's return to some of the, the challenges you were talking about that the CCO of today's corporations, particularly larger public ones, um, sports figures and, and, um, and entertainers. I just saw Robert De Niro was doing a press pr- promotional thing for um, uh, the latest Martin Scorsese film he's in. And he just said, you know, I hate Trump. He's an idiot. We just, just went crazy on it. I mean, really, really. Go- now, he's whatever, 81, so he doesn't seem to care. But are you seeing uh, the same challenge, I'm assuming you are, with sports figures and entertainers in having to sort of walk that walk of representing an issue, particularly a LeBron James after uh, George Floyd, and then trying to maintain a broad appeal to their audience and their fans? Well, I think it comes down to the brand. Celebrities and, and figures, even politicians now, it's a yeah. brand. Yeah. And if you take it through that lens, the behaviors of each of them makes a lot more sense. If you are going to be extreme and your brand is extreme and your constituents and your customers and your fans are extreme, that's totally fine. If you're going for mass market, whether you're a politician or a celebrity or a musician, you've got to take stances that are, that are mainstream, that are middle of the road. You can't take an extreme because you're going to then scare all those customers, those fans off. And that's yeah. a choice each person, each of these celebrities has to make is what does my brand stand for? Yeah. And – and you see that. You see that. You see some people take really extreme cases. Your, your example's a good one. Yeah, De Niro, he just he doesn't care. He doesn't care. Yeah. But that's his brand. I'm outspoken. I'll say what I think. And I'm 81. I don't really care. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't need your money anymore. <laughs> exactly. I think that's the economic side. But you see other ones. They're com- it's common sense in most cases. Even the ones who are extreme and right and extreme left, you still kind of saying, huh, I know exactly who they're pandering to. And that's their right. Yeah. They're yeah. independent, you know, a uh, commercial entity in their own right as a celebrity. It's interesting. Uh, Colin Kaepernick continues to be every now and then mentioned as an example and maybe even coming back and playing. And I wonder, look ahead 10 years and will people like Colin Kaepernick be considered tradition breakers and setting new standards on being personally outspoken? 
Or will they be thought of as somebody that took a risk that they didn't need to and destroyed their brand? Or can we not tell? You know, it's an unfair question. In some cases, your guess is as good as mine. But I think if you look at the long trends in our society, it's ones towards acceptance of people. Yeah. I think you cannot avoid that. I think it's a healthy trend long term for this country. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a believer in extremism at all, but I do believe that we need to find a way to care for each other in this country. Uh, we have a lot of challenges, and we're going to be more successful together. Look at Colin Kaepernick. As much as some of the things he did was downright offensive to people, particularly veterans, people with lost loved ones in a war. They right. connected those dots. Right or wrong, they connected those dots. Yep. I don't think that was intent to offend people. The intent was to make a statement. Yeah. And in that light, I think long term, he's going to be regarded generally positively. Once the the level of, of offense sort of calms down a little bit and say, you know what? He made a good point. Yeah. Right. We're not treating people correctly in the society. We can do a better job. And there's a lot of people on both sides uh, have good moral values, broadly speaking. And most of those moral values teach loving your neighbor. And I think it's a good place to start. Not good. Uh, lightning round before we get to our final question with Eric Kofa today. Um, electric vehicles. I don't know if you have automotive clients, but this this category tends to have some reaction as well. I, I've literally been yelled at by a guy in a pickup truck because I drive an electric vehicle. What's your what's your bet on how quickly they become absolutely just a regular regular choice of the automotive arena? You know, you may not know my background. I worked in the auto industry at Ford Motor Company for quite a few years. Okay. Early, early in my career. Lightning round. I apologize. So, I no, teed it up. The, the trend is unstoppable. The question of how fast it's going to happen. Yep. I think that's some of the political gap you see right now is don't force it on people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yet many people leave net, net, net. The environment's better off. And there's yep. lots of tails on it. I think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen as fast as people think. But I, it's, going to get, it's going to get that first, you know, with 30 40%, and it's going to slow down a lot. Oh, well, the electric F-150, baby. That's your, that's your Ford product. going to sell a ton of those. Listen, it's Eric Kofit is our guest, CEO of Public Relay here in Washington, D.C. We ask all of our guests, Eric, at the end of What's Working in Washington, if you rule the world, what's one thing you would start happening that isn't and, and or one thing that you would stop happening that is? Maybe this is altruistic, but I wish we could get people to just have some calm conversations about the issues we face. This polarization of our society and globally, it's not just America, is quite sad. And I have not lost a single friend over politics the last five years, not one, because I won't argue to that point. You're going to change someone's mind by arguing, just create an enemy or lose a friend. But I do believe the more and more people I speak with that the politicians are the ones who are driving the wedges. They're taking advantage of opinions to drive wedges and anger in the population for their own personal benefit. Mm-hmm. Right and left, some do it more than others, and we'll leave that one alone. But I think when you look at the mass group of people in America, they're good people who love our country, who have a lot of similar basic values of kindness and respect for fellow man and fellow citizens. And that America is the greatest country in the world. I deeply, deeply believe that. We have our flaws, but one of the strengths of America is we're, we're introspective on our flaws, more so than a lot of countries. So I'm hoping, thing I'd change is that we're more introspective when we come together more than splinter apart, because it's scary if we if we splinter. Eric Kofut, our guest, he's the CEO and founder of Public Relay, communications and technology platform company right here in the DMV. Eric, thanks for being with us. Thank you. The team behind What's Working in Washington is a great group. The executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Online content, Anna DeGraff. And that theme music you enjoy, performed by The Sunbathers. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.